gets you excited for Luke chapter 1. Open there, open there, open there, and we're going to begin new territory today. As a matter of fact, if we stay at this pace, okay, we're in Luke chapter 1, which is the announcement of John the Baptist, the announcement of Jesus Christ, these two babies, these two cousins, separated cousins. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins, and now John and Jesus will be cousins. If we stay at this pace of teaching, I can stay in John 1 and 2, or sorry, Luke 1 and 2, all the way until next Christmas. We'll just have the Christmas story right here at the birth. No, I'm just kidding. We're going we're gonna to make up some ground today. Uh, this is the sixth time we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to begin in verse 26. I'm going to read a few verses, then pray. It says, now in the sixth month, the sixth month of Elizabeth's growing a baby. She's an olden woman. She's conceived through a miraculous conception. And she's hidden herself for five months away, growing this baby and making baby blankets and worshiping the Lord for this miracle within. Two miracles happened, actually. One, she got a baby in her belly. And the second miracle is her husband was mute for nine months. Okay? She's like, this is, I'm doubly blessed. You know? For nine months, she won every argument in the house. You know? and, Do you want this color or this color for John's room? That's what I thought. You know? And Elizabeth got her way. It's just it's God's grace and kindness. And in the sixth month, though, this is happening. The, the miracle was pronounced in Jerusalem, and they went to their home. And then about 100 miles north, 60, 70, 80 miles north, to a town called Nazareth. The angel shows up again six months later. I just want you to feel this, because it's so awesome when you can respect God in the way he does things, because he does them differently than you. His ways are different, his timing's different. We've been learning that throughout. You'll never not learn that story if you read the Bible. His ways are different, his timing is different. By the way, this is super frustrating, okay? Just so you guys know, it's super frustrating. But learn to love it. His ways, not like yours. His timing, super not like yours. But his ways and his timing are both awesome, and they're good. When in our lives, not all our situations are good. They're, they're just not. And that's where the rub happens. That's where the tension is built. Oh, God is good, and he is right, but my situation is difficult. This thing has been taken away too young or too much prematurely, or this thing has been given to me that I didn't ask for. I didn't want this, and now it's my burden to bear whatever it is, relational, financial, physical, or health-wise, all kinds of situations. Here, though, in this story, amongst other stories, we learn this lesson. Look at verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth. You guys all heard of Nazareth, haven't you? You guys all heard of Nazareth? Did you know that in that day, no one had heard of Nazareth? I just want you to know that. Like, there was, it was a small town. As a matter of fact, this is the first time in the Bible, Old to New Testament, that it's ever mentioned. It's not, sorry for spitting on you. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth doesn't come up. I'm going to Nazareth. Going to Na Nobody goes to Nazareth, okay? Kind of like Eddieville. <laughs> now, you're all familiar with Eddieville, right? You're all familiar with it because you were forced to drive through it in order to reach civilization, Okay? <laughs> Now there's a bypass. We no longer have to do that. And, 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 and really, though, in like terms, Nazareth had a population of around 350 people at the time. So to Eddieville, the same. And it would be one of those areas, can anything good come from Eddieville? You know, you know too much? Too much? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just wanted, it would be that town, though, just like Elizabeth and just like Zacharias, that were really nobody doing nothing in no one's eyes at that time. And God said, perfect, perfect. 
Because God does things his way, not your way, and in his timing. And so now this angel, the, 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 the messenger angel, is sent to Eddieville, okay? He's sent to Nazareth. Now, the reason I say it that way is because most of you probably think Nazareth is legit. You probably think Nazareth is awesome. Nazareth is the place to be. Nazareth is a destination spot. It's not. You have this idea from the nativity scene and the movies you've watched and the teachings you've sat under and the imagination that you haven't brought into the Bible, and you think Nazareth is all this. As a matter of fact, today, Nazareth has about 100,000 people living in it. It's a destination spot. I've been there. It's the very same city where Jesus was teaching. I believe it's Luke chapter 4. Stands up, says, hey, Isaiah's fulfilling me. I'm fulfilling Isaiah, and it's all going down, and they begin to take him and try and body slam him off of a cliff and kill him in his own town, and he leaves that town of Nazareth. I've been on that very cliff, and all of that's to say this. What God does is what God does, and it's not the way you or I would prescribe. It says this, though, in verse 27. He comes there to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and that virgin's name was Mary. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we study this portion of Scripture? Father, in Jesus' name now, we desire to elevate you, to come under you, to worship you, to see you magnified, not to test you, not to criticize you, not to cross-examine you, but instead to present ourselves as those being tested, those being cross-examined, those coming to your word and your light and being exposed and examined so that we might become more like you by your grace, by your kindness. And so I pray your great favor to be honest, just like your great favor was upon Mary that day, that she was highly favored, that is greatly graced. And there's not one person here that doesn't need the exact kind of treatment, that doesn't need the exact same type of favor that you give to your kids. And so in Jesus' name, bless the time that we have in your word. We've already been encouraged. We've seen people get baptized. We're excited to be with one another. There's been conversations in prayer and relationships kindled. There's opportunities to help at the Project Homeless Connect this month. There's all kinds of things going on. You've already done enough. But Lord, I would be the first to say, I've got some work to do. I've got some stuff ahead of me. I've got responsibilities on my back. And I need your word to make my back stronger, to make the muscle of faith in my life more active and more relevant. There's people going back to school this next month at Oregon Coast Community College and other universities. There's kids that went back last week to public schools here in town and home schools. And there's all kinds of things going on. There's purpose. There's an inauguration coming up in the end of the month. There's changes on the horizon. And we, I, I speak for me, but I also speak for us. We need you and we love you. We seek you. Pray for all those who are shut in today with the roads and all the rest and churches that are uh, off their cycle today. Just bless them. Holy Spirit, just be, be crazy today and just do what you do. In Jesus' name, we submit to you. Amen. Amen. Well, you've already found this out, but I'll ask you, how many of you guys have found out that God's ways are just totally different than yours and his timing is totally different than yours? Like he's just, yeah, here's the deal. The problem is we can know that theologically and you could answer the question on a test, you know, A, B, C, or D, are God's ways my ways, you know, yes or no? You're like, well, technically no, you know. But then when, God, when ways don't go the way you want them to, how many of you guys go right back to that answer on your multiple choice test and say, well, that's okay, that's okay. If you're like me, you get highly frustrated when things seem to be out of control or not going your way or not happening when you want them to happen. And the faith muscle within you and I, within each one of us, will ultimately grow to help us find ourselves not frustrated when things don't go our way, but instead finding our gaze going upward saying, Lord, here am I, send me. Lord, 
would you help me to stay the course? Lord, this isn't the thing I would have picked. This isn't the timing I would have chosen. Now, Zacharias and Elizabeth learned this, and we saw their life experience. Remember Zacharias and Elizabeth? They'd wanted a kid as a youngster, and they didn't get the kid, and they never got the kid, and the kid never came. And so they just continued to stay the course in their frustration and disappointment. As a matter of fact, I do a lot of counseling with people, just kind of off-the-cuff counseling and then real counseling and helping people in their journey and helping myself in my journey. One thing I find comes from my mouth almost every single time is those three little words, stay the course, okay? Stay the course. Just stay the course. Things are getting crazy and they left me and they fired me and they dumped me and this fell apart. I say, look, you stay the course. I know it didn't work out for you. I know it's hard right now. You stay the course of faithful commitment to God, even though and even when it doesn't work out. And keep seeking him. Keep looking after him. As a matter of fact, there's people that come to my mind right now that I so wish I could just magic wand touch their situation. Ah, darn it. Oh, I'm so sorry. Gosh, I just am so sorry. But here's your objective. Stay the course. Stay the course. Stay faithful like Zacharias and like Elizabeth. Remember, they were righteous in God's ways and they continued to serve. They didn't fall into sin and do other things and they didn't fall into rebellion against a life that was disappointing. Instead, they stayed faithful and committed to God. And I would give you the same advice to stay pursuing him. Listen, until you find him or until like Zacharias, until he finds you. Zacharias just showed up one day in the temple. He showed up, it was his lucky day, and the Lord sent an angel to minister to him. He was seeking the Lord, and the Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him, and he will openly and diligently reward you for your service to him. Uh, speaking of finding him and God sending people to earth in his name, let's look again at verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. I just need you to, again, trip out a little bit with me. What's happening here, not only is there a six-month gap from the time the angel appeared to Zacharias. Let's just be human for a second. Okay, an angel shows up, changes your whole life, and the angel disappears. How many of you guys want the angel back the next day? <clears throat> you know, maybe a week, maybe just every once a week. Okay, every five weeks. How about every six weeks? How about once a month? Wait, my angel. You know, angel shows up, drops the direction on his head, and bounces. Zacharias and Elizabeth they cooperate with this miraculous conception. They conceive a baby. They go then celebrate and worship for five months. Zacharias is silent worshiping, but you get the point. They're both trusting <clears throat> in God's plan moving forward. And again, I would just be so wanting another sign sooner than six months. It's really not the way God works, though. Oftentimes, God speaks so clearly, and he has spoken. I'm going to say it. He's spoken to you guys more clearly than he spoke to Zacharias, even though Zacharias got an angel. If Zacharias got a couple moments with an angel with clear direction, you and I have God's living, active, powerful, alive word right here. It's crazy town. And when you get into this book, God just straight puts it out there. He's like, here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Do you, do you have any other questions? We're like, well, how's this all going to work out? And God's like, well, I'm going to be faithful to work it all out. Yeah, but what about this? You know, and we, 
we have all these questions and these problems. We drag our feet, and God's like, well, I'm going to give you, how about I give you 66 books that make one book of the whole story? I'll give you tons of illustrations and principles and prophets and miracles and signs and wonders. I'll just record it all. Is that going to be good for you? I guess so, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know how your faith is. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only Eeyore here. We have more revelation, more direction, more word, more promise, more insight than anybody in history based on the full revelation of God's word. The men and women that we kind of idolize and put up on a pedestal, we think, well, they had, they had an angel. It must have been easy for them. <laughs> yeah, right. It wasn't easy for them. It should be easy for you and I because we got the whole picture here. We're all, though, spirits having a human experience. We're not humans having a spiritual experience, okay? We're not primarily human. We're primarily spiritual. Okay, our spirits are going to last forever. Our human side, it's, cool. it's not going to last forever. It's very short-lived. Li- li- short but our spirits get this opportunity to have this experience here in the temporal, physical, and our spirits are continually strengthened and renewed daily. And so what we have here, not just a six-month gap, okay, which to me, I'm like, whoa, trip out. You see what's happening here when the angel shows up, not to Jerusalem with Zacharias, but when the angel shows up to Nazareth, with Joseph and Mary. It's not a six-month gap that's now being linked. It's a 4,000-year gap that is now being linked. Now, can you imagine a 4,000-year-old prophecy? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When Adam and Eve sinned, when the whole thing went off the rails, when the whole plight that you know as life became real, Sin, the battle, the separation, Adam and Eve in their own sinful, willful rebellion and their pride were deceived and then willfully walked away from God and there was separation because of sin. And right there on that very day in Genesis 3.15, it's called the Proto-Evangelium for all you Bible students out there. Prototype, the beginning, the first ever evangelium, the evangelistical message, the, the, the good news, the first mention of the good news is in genesis 3 15 where god spoke to the serpent the devil and said he didn't really say that but he looked at the serpent the devil and he said the seed of the woman will crush your head god i'm sending someone through the seed of a woman now you guys know that women don't have seeds okay it's not how it works men do okay this whole thing didn't make sense right at the very beginning biology 101 god do you know what you're doing four thousand years later there's a woman who through the seed of god himself not not joseph but a virgin would birth the messiah the whole plan and i just say this because it's a four thousand year long where god declared i'm gonna do it and then came Cain and Abel, and everything went weird. And then came Methuselah, who lived to the longest of all. And then came Noah and the flood. And then came Abraham. And then came Isaac or Jacob and Isaac, and, and all the guys, and, and all the, the patriarchs, and Joseph. And then came Samuel and, and Elijah. I'm going to fall off the stage, you know. All these, it's a whole story. Like, okay, what's, what's really going on here? What's really going on here? And then in this story, 4,000 years later, God's like, oh, yeah, this is it. This is it. It's happening now. Now, for me, oh, this is good news. For for me, it's good news. When I see God on a 4,000-plus, now 6,000-plus-year plan and just not tripping, (laughs) he's so excited. Everything makes sense. Everything's together. On a 6,000-year-plus plan right now, what it does for me is it extracts me personally from being the center of the universe. Okay? You guys done that for yourself yet? 
Okay, you should do that before you leave here today. And when you extract yourself from the center of the universe, where it's not really about you, God is good through all generations. God will accomplish his will. You get to be a part of it both now and eternally. It's not really about you, though. So the, the pride, not good, and the pressure, not good, gets alleviated when you just say, oh, whoa. If I'm worshiping and dealing with a God who can not only take a six-month break in between messages, then I can also take a deep breath when I'm dealing with a God that can take a 4,000-year path in order to fulfill his plan. And I'll tell you what, when you get saved, it's unlike every other religion you've ever heard of or been a part of. Every other religion you've ever heard of, everyone, or been a part of, says you do your best to get closer to God, and don't blow it. Christianity says God has given his best to get closer to you. You can't blow it. God does it for you. It is the good news, not the good advice. That's what other religions present to you and to me, and this is so alleviating to my pressures, and so I want you to just worship God and his sovereignty. And there's two big concepts out there. I didn't mean to talk about it today, but maybe it'll come up. It seems like it's coming up right now. <clears throat> and those are the two theological camps of the sovereignty of God. That is that God is sovereign and nothing can stop him and he needs no help and his will will not be thwarted and he commands his purpose on all of creation because he is indeed the creator. And there's, whoa, he's just... <laughs> the sovereignty of God. And then on the other side of the pendulum, there's another camp over here that talk about the free will of man. That is man's part in this equation that God has given to us free will. And we make our decisions that send us on trajectories and courses and pathways and bring about consequences and circumstances. And we have a lot to play and offer to this situation that God has put us in. And if we decide wrong, it's going to go wrong. And if we decide right, it's going to go right. And here's the deal. I believe that both of these theological camps are right together not separate one from the other there are certain camps that say well free will of man that's, that's crazy talk that's crazy talk and they're way centric over here and then there's other camps that i'm way way not a part of over here that say well if we don't then he can't and if we aren't then he won't and all these things that think through the the free will of man that limit god and his sovereignty here's the deal these two theological truths exist only healthily, if that's a word, in tandem, in intention with the, one another. They are connected with one another. Just like a trampoline has tension within it, pulling to the sides in order to make that trampoline functional. A trampoline actually works and does what it's intended to do. When there's tension, when the tension is released and it's up, a lopsided and all the rest, here's the deal. You've got God's sovereignty. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Okay. Oh, I, I'll tell you what. My coffee tastes so much better when I consider God's sovereignty. Okay, I don't know about you. Just man, just man. Life tastes good. It's good. God is sovereign. But then I get an opportunity to take my life seriously as well and to not waste it when I consider that my actions will limit or maximize my own relationship with God, my own experience here, if I cooperate with his sovereignty. Now, I'm going to just let you all off the hook. To consider, or should I say, to, to, to completely understand these two seemingly opposing camps, if you try and actually understand them in totality, your head will explode, okay? Don't do it. Just accept them. They're both together in God's economy. God, if he were big enough 
or should I say it this way, if he were small enough to completely figure out and categorize and file away, he would not be big enough to worship and to adore and to submit to and be in awe and reverence over. Instead, God has made himself so big and so unfigureoutable. Some big words coming out in this first service. Don't be writing these words down. These are not good words. He is so big that he deserves our worship. And you know what? It's not a crime or even a sin to have questions. You guys know that? We'll see that in just a little bit here. Mary has a good question. Okay? And her question is one of awe and wonder. I believe it's different than Zachariah's question, which was one of disbelief. He got busted for his disbelief. Mary has questions. She's like, wow, this is crazy. I'm going to have a baby. How, how, how's this going to happen? And she believes but has questions. Don't even raise your hand, but how many of you guys are believers here? Just your believer. You believe that Jesus Christ died, he rose again, that your sins are paid for, you're going to heaven, he created all things, but you got some questions too. You got some questions that are unanswered thus far, but they're worshipful questions, not demanding questions. Well, I'm going to ask God a thing or two when I meet him. You know, it's like, <laughs> really? Or you're like, man, I just want to, I want to know how he did it. I want to know it did it. Just the other day, I was driving up to Portland with the, you know, the, the staff, and we were driving up there. I was just considering the complexity of the earth, just how complex it is, and just all the nuances and the mystery, and, and God made it all, and he was so complex how it all works, and the earth spinning, and it's two-thirds water, and here we are in a space that never ends, and it's so, and I just want to ask God, why did you make it so complex? You're God, you could have made it way simpler, you know, Lego City, you know, just easy, you know, and I wasn't, I just was curious. Anyways, where are we at? Are we studying the Bible yet? Is this happening? Barely. Oh, barely. Okay, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this. Here's the deal. It says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Nazareth. Now, again, Nazareth was not really on the map at that time. Uh, less than 400 people lived there. The rest of the Jews in that population would not travel there ever. As a matter of fact, check this out. In the book of John, John chapter 1, Philip goes to find Nathaniel. Philip had just met Jesus. He's like, oh, this is the one. And he runs and tells his buddy, he's an evangelist, Philip the evangelist. And so he goes to find Nathaniel, who would become one of the 12. Nathaniel, I found the Messiah. And Nathaniel's like, puts his coffee out. It's a pretty big deal. You can't just say, I found the Messiah, you know. Where'd you, where'd you find the Messiah? He's like, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And even more coffee comes out. <laughs> Nazareth. Gotcha. The Messiah from Nazareth. Perfect. This will make great headlines. The, the Messiah from Eddieville. Got it. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought he would do. And this would be not just mysterious. I mean, really, think about it. Be not just mysterious. It would be offensive. Okay. The, the Messiah's got to come from Jerusalem, the holy city. He can't come from this outskirt town. This little one-pump gas station town, you know, the ones on I-5 and, you know, in southern Oregon between, like, Roseburg and Eugene, those towns, and you pull over, and you're, like, scared you're going to catch something on accident, you know, and the gas station's on a, the key's on a stick, and you're like, just fill it up, never mind, I gotta go, you know. That's what Nazareth would have been like. I'm not messing with you. Crooks and criminals and immoral people lived in this town, and God, God says, I know, I, I do things differently. I just, just try and figure me out. Spend the rest of your life trying to figure me out and do so worshipfully. Do so in reverence. The way I do things is not the way you would do things. And so we know just a little bit about what's going on here based on the reaction from Nathaniel, based on the scriptures. Like I said, Nazareth is not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. It doesn't go down in history as this one city that all this cool stuff happened at. Never, never, never. 
Uh, there's good news for us today. If you haven't had anything cool happen in your life yet, if you've just been kind of wondering, is there anything good going to come from my life at all? Today would be a good day to respond and say, yeah, do it, Lord. Do it. I just feel kind of Nazarethy. Kind of, you know, I just kind of, I don't feel right. I just feel like, I, I don't know, I just kind of missed some stuff. And God will say, I, I redeem stuff. I redeem stuff all day long. That's what I do. It's what makes me God and makes me awesome. As a matter of fact, there's more redemption going on. Look at verse 27. It says, to a virgin... Uh, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, let me just say this uh, just quickly. It says that she's a virgin more than once. You know why? Because she was a virgin. Thank you, Jan. First front, front row Joe right here. She knows. She's paying attention. <laughs> there are people out there that say, well, it, that's tradition. Okay? That's tradition. And let me just remind you, Luke. Luke the scholar. Luke the Greek. Luke the doctor. Luke the servant. Luke the missionary. Luke the traveler. Luke the man. Luke wouldn't just put down tradition. He sat down with eyewitnesses and interviewed them. When he made this account, I guarantee you, he sat down with Mary, the mother of God, and asked her, hey, I heard this story. Can I hear it from you now? Tell me about it. And how he got his account is from her own lips. And when it says she's a virgin, it's because she's a virgin. Okay, so whether you're on that camp, I don't think any of us have any trouble with that because we're talking about God who spoke and all things exist, and God who created procreation and all. He knows he can handle it. He knows what he's doing. And so this woman and this man are living in Nazareth. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about Joe and Mary, okay? Joe and Mary, Joseph and Mary. They were young. As a matter of fact, you probably have all kinds of pictures in your mind about what these two look like. We'll talk about Joseph first. Joseph was probably a sophomore in high school, maybe a little bit older, working in a farm village, knew how to raise animals, knew how to tend the garden, and knew how to work with his hands. He was a carpenter. He worked with stone and with wood. He was a man's man, but he was very young, probably struggling to find his identity of sorts, coming from the line of David and wondering if he could ever grow a beard like all sophomores, okay? Waking up every morning, just a scruffy face. I mean, really, this guy's from Nazareth in a small town living in his parents' house with the animals, living like a hick who works with his hands and raises animals. If it were today's culture, he would be living in Eddyville riding dirt bikes with a 2.0 GPA <laughs> with his eyes on a 1990s three-tone Honda Civic. You know, like, that's what I want. That's who he would be. I'm not messing with you. Nazareth. He's not the guy you would pick. Just... I mean, he's not the guy you would pick. You'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Anybody else open for this task? What about Mary? You guys all have these images of Mary. Anybody have an image of Mary in your mind? We got one here. Put it up on the screen if you got that. It might come up. It might not. Um, that's how the world looks at Mary. And uh, they look at Mary like that. When you think about Mary, think peasant girl, okay? And a peasant dress pulling water from a well collecting firewood to heat her parents' home, okay? Think of her sitting on a wooden stool, barefoot, maybe sandals, but most likely barefoot, dirty, probably as young as 12, not older than 15 at the time the angel approached her, okay? Middle school, possibly freshman, younger than JoJo, a little girl. Joseph and Mary's parents were friends. They'd known each other. Everyone knows everyone in Eddyville, okay? It's just everyone knows everyone. These two probably had possibly, I'm getting outside of the scripture now, some sort of understanding of each other's existence, maybe even a crush. At one point, it turned into an engagement, which turned into a betrothal. Those are two different things. Engagement leads to betrothal. Betrothal is supposed to happen one year prior to marriage, okay? In that 
custom. And when you were betrothed to somebody after engagement, by the way, engagement in that culture, this would be like premeditated engagement where one family would say to another family, I notice you have a two-year-old. That's pretty interesting. I have a one-year-old. Would you like to engage them? This will be good for our family moving forward. And they decided beforehand for these young adolescent youth who they should marry. And all in favor? kids these days. Anyways, they decided this, and then it would move into betrothal. Once it went into betrothal, this is just history, once it went into betrothal, it was just like marriage, even though you weren't intimate for a whole other year. So in order to get out of a betrothal, which they see, not in today's story, but we see they try and get out of it. Joseph does want to leave her uh, at the beginning of this this whole operation. Because they are betrothed, it would have been a full-fledged divorce at that time. It would have been much legal proceedings and very complicated. And so these guys are betrothed. And Mary, though, was just this young, simple servant. As a matter of fact, that picture, you don't need to put it back up, but if she saw that picture of herself, she wouldn't recognize it. I'm just letting you know. Just so you guys, you guys got to look at who God is and what God does through the Bible, not through tradition or through teachings you've heard or received. She would be embarrassed at this point in, in her life if she knew the pedestal that had been put under her throughout teachings and throughout time. And when she saw, she who's that person? Who's that? Is that you? It's not me. I'm, I'm from Eddieville. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm from Nazareth. I just need you guys to get that because most of us would not want to be adorned that way. I sure wouldn't with the crown and all the rest of them, these pictures that people have. And, and I'm going to speak a little bit about Mary today, so don't, don't, don't uh, get me wrong. Uh, there are two camps. There are those who elevate Mary way, 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 way too high. And I think she would be embarrassed and appalled at the heresy that is taught in her name. Okay? Then there are other camps who don't honor Mary in the ways that she needs to be honored amongst women because she is the most honored amongst women. She's not the most honored above women. Okay? Amongst women, God honored her and gave her grace, and she was highly favored. And so these two entered the scene now, and it says in verse 29, But when she saw him, this angel shows up, she was troubled at this saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. By the way, there are teachings out there that say Mary uh, knew that she was going to be called, and she came from a virgin lineage, even her mom conceived through virgin birth, and just stuff out there is totally unfounded. And her response here shows the humility. What? What, what are you talking about? First of all, you're an angel in Nazareth, okay? You blew it. You know, you're off course. Second of all, you're telling me this is going to happen to me? I'm, I'm collecting water. I'm a peasant. I'm nobody coming from nowhere. You must have the wrong person. If she were indeed, as some have purported uh, her to be, she would act differently here. Then, verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, here's the deal. You have found favor with God. Lest I don't develop this point well, I need you to hear it loud. The reason Mary was chosen wasn't because of her at all, but because God favors people. God gives grace. The same word there, highly favored, means greatly graced. The reason God does what God does, the, the platform that God works on today is one of great grace, always. And when God looked to Joseph, it was because of grace. When he looked to Zacharias and Elizabeth, it was because of his grace, not their efforts. When he looked on Mary, it was because of his great grace. Jesus, full of grace, should be the prayer that is prayed by millions. It is about his grace towards undeserving people. It's really simple and really, as a matter of fact, you, you know this about Mary. She had no money. Okay? She had no education. She was illiterate. 
Okay, everyone in Nazareth was illiterate. Maybe two or three people were literate, and they didn't even know how to make other people literate. You know, wasn't this, that wasn't needed then. Uh, she had no gifts. She had no power or influence, no position in life, nothing at all. This is good news. And God's like, hey, I, can I use you? And the Bible says throughout that God is looking for a few good men and a few good women to show himself strong on behalf of their loyal hearts. God does it to people and with generations and those who do not deserve it or have anything else to cooperate. Notice what he says in verse 31. You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. Whoa. Now, Jesus was a common name, but also a very direct name. Okay? That name was around. Yeshua, Joshua, that name was around. It was a very Jewish name. But the name means God is Savior. The name means that, so here's this angel saying, hey, you're going to have a son. It's going to be amazing. I know you're not even married yet, and you're going to conceive in your womb prior to marriage. Then you're going to have a baby, and your baby's name is going to be, uh, my baby saves me, okay? I'm going to birth a savior for myself. I mean, the heaviness of this message would be so intense. Look at verse 32. The angel goes on to say, he will be great. And if you're a note taker or a studier later on today, you should consider well the angel's words. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever and of his king of his kingdom there will be no end stop right there eyes up here people have lots of opinions about who Jesus is okay I like the angels this angel knows what he's talking about he's not making stuff up okay he doesn't get paid by the hour yeah, he's there on assignment. He's doing his job. He's like, hey, I know, hey, Mary, how you doing? I know you're scared. I got a little thing I want to drop on your head. It's going to be fine. Just stay with me. And he begins to then talk about Jesus in a very clear way. And if you have any questions about who Jesus is, and was he a prophet? Is he a teacher? Is he a leader amongst leaders? Was he one of the great? No, none of that counts. <laughs> okay. None of that counts. You need to take Luke's report because he was there. You weren't. You need to take the angel's words because he shared them very clearly about who Christ is. By the way, not who Christ would become. There are some people, minor camp, minority camp, small, small amount of people that say Christ was born natural and achieved Christ-likeness, okay? Through both the baptism, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and through his own life efforts, he received, he became the Son of God. No, 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 no. He is and always was the Son of God. Okay? And when he was born as a little baby, needing to be wiped and diaped, okay? he was the son of God. All humanity and all God, all in one, all in mystery. So this is given through the angel's lips to Mary. Look at verse 34. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Now again, she doesn't have unbelief, she has questions. Her questions don't come from a rebellion or a, uh, an obstinance or a... Uh, a disagreement like Zacharias evidently had in his tone or in his heart. And I would just say this. If you have questions about God, you believe the story, like, okay, how's that going to work? Like, how? Let's just be real. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, and then the sixth thing out of his mouth was, it is finished. And the Bible teaches that what he did then applies to your account now. I believe that. But I'm, I'm kind of curious how it works. You know what I'm saying? And that when he said, it's finished, hey, Telestai, when he said that, and then the last words out of his mouth, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, and he breathed his last, that at that moment, he extracted your sin onto himself, and at the moment of his resurrection, imputed his righteousness onto your accounts who believe. 
He took your garbage and gave you his righteousness. Now, I believe that, but I'm kind of curious how it works. I got some questions. How did that work? This is so, wow. And Mary, it's not a sin. Now, there are those who are rebellious in their questioning, okay? Um, there's a difference between unbelief, which says, I don't believe the Bible's true, and I don't, I don't believe Jesus is God. I don't believe he died. I don't believe he rose. That's unbelief. But for the believer here today, it's the I do believe. I, and Lord, help my unbelief. Help, help my questions. And uh, Christianity and Christ, and I just need to say this because for some of you thinkers and, and, and dreamers and, and, and wanderers and wonders, Christ is big enough for your questions. He can handle it, okay? And I always tell people that want to debate with me, I say, look, if you have an honest desire to get to the truth and an honest desire to, to learn something as opposed to just, you know, butt heads, I'll talk to you. And if you seek the Lord on that same understanding, God will give to you all the answers you're asking for. He will. As a matter of fact, my pastor taught me when he was younger, he would use his pencil in reading the scriptures, and he would write a question mark next to every question he had in the Bible. That's a weird thing right there. How did that happen? I just don't, you know, I believe it, but I got some questions. He would write it with a pencil. And then as he grew with the Lord and continued to read and study, he would turn the pencil over and use his eraser. And he erased those question marks as God would give him the answers to those particular questions as he walked with belief and questions. That's what Mary's doing here. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, you know how this is going to happen? The Holy Spirit. I like that answer. That, that answer is so good for our, for our needs in this community and for your needs in your own life. How is this going to happen? How is there going to be healing? How is there going to be deliverance? How is there going to be provision? How is there going to be? How many of you guys, when you need something done, consider your own resources immediately? You know, I'm really bad at this. As a matter of fact, as a pastor, I'm really bad at this. When a need arises, when somebody needs counsel or a marriage falls apart or somebody, somebody goes through a great travesty, my first knee-jerk reaction is, how can I help? And guess how I can help? I can't. That's why I don't answer you when you call. <laughs> Pray for me. Pray for me. Now you know. An angel. Well, Mary, here, I guess, yeah, it's a good question, Mary. I got him. Shoot. Shoot, Mary, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this, Mary? I got to get this baby going, maybe yoga, you know, I got to get this baby to grow without a man, you know. And he says, no, 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 no. It's not you. It has nothing to do with you. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through the Holy Spirit. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Stop right there and just consider what's happening. A lot of people have questions about this immaculate conception. How did the baby get conceived in her womb? I don't know. Okay? He says that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. This is the same phraseology and terminology to describe the Holy of Holies where the kabod of God, the very presence of God, the manifestation of God would dwell in the Holy of Holies in the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? So just imagine, we've all come to agree that God somehow in spirit form for a season decided to abide in the Holy of Holies. He was there. If you went into the Holy of Holies and weren't supposed to be there, you would die. It was so intense. That's where God was. Here, the angel's saying, yeah, that's going to change. You now, Mary, are going to become the holy place. You're going to become the temple of God. Jesus is going to move into you. And once he moves into you in this form and is born and delivered, 
he then through his life and death will also be able to enter into in this overshadowing way into humanity's lives. And you and I and we, like Mary, get the Holy Spirit's presence, Jesus himself, God creator, living inside us. People say that all the time. Have you invited Jesus into your heart? What does that even mean? It's picture, it's reality, it's truth that is pictured and experienced here as well. The whole thing is amazing. And I've got questions, okay? I'm going to ask questions when I get there. The questions will all just be answered. As a matter of fact, I talked to a girl here, I think I already shared this, maybe five weeks ago. And she was a staunch, uh, I'll just use words that came to my mind, a scientific uh, atheist. She was, she was an atheist. And through a certain circumstances of events, she found herself believing. She said, now I'm a believer, just recently a believer. And all the questions, just crazy, they're just answered. Just answer all the, all the questions and the, the nagging thoughts and the shadows and the darkness. I just, I'm just filled with the presence and the peace of God. And I'm sitting here going, no way. That's exactly it. You didn't read a book. And well, I guess that's enough of my questions answered right there. I guess I'll be a believer. Yep, I'm all in. You know, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God overshadows you, changes your life. And all of a sudden, some of the biggest questions you've ever had, you don't even know what the answers are, but they're answered. They're not question marks anymore. They're, they're, they're pillows of grace. Oh. I'm just going to rest in the Almighty. I'm going to rest in Him. And Mary chooses to do just that. Verse 36, if she needs a little bit of proof, he says this. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, your cousin, she's also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. He says, if you need a little bit of proof that, I, that this can indeed happen and miracles are going down, guess what? Your cousin, the barren one, you know her? Yeah, she's got a baby growing right now. This is the first Mary had heard of it because Elizabeth had hid herself. And she's like, wow, this is crazy. <clears throat> and this now, verse 37, probably one of the most important memory verses you could ever, ever put on a post-it note or truly consider and not just make a cliche for a Hallmark card that you never really take to heart. But this angel in sharing with Mary God's plan, summarizes it with this very simple yet profound truth. Verse 37, he says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And I just trip out on this angel. I've never met this angel, okay? Gabriel, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know what he looks like. I don't, know, I don't know where he's at right now. But for him to show up in the very presence of God with no personal agenda, I'm an angel. I just, I just made, I deliver the mail. Sorry, you're gonna have a baby. Deal with it. Go talk to your cousin. She'll help you out. Because with God, nothing will be impossible. I mean, if that's this angel's take on life, he's been there for the whole time. He's seen the rebellion of heaven. He's seen the angels that have decided to walk away from God. They're called demons. He's seen them. He's seen the rebellion. He's been in every battle. And when he's with this young girl, he says, hey, don't ever, ever doubt the abilities of God. For with God, nothing is impossible. And as a woman or a man here today, as you move forward in life, as you consider this, you need to trust God's plans and God's timing and God's abilities. Don't give up. Stay the course, whatever it is. Whatever it is. I, I never counsel people to give up. Ever. Ever. In, in marriage, in death and in health, in loss, in upset, Oh, just maybe you should just give up. Maybe, it, maybe you missed it. Maybe it didn't work for you. No. That's not the counsel of God. That's not the hope of God. For with God, nothing will be impossible. 
He changes lives. He saves lives. He raises people from the dead. God can provide. God can deliver. God can restore. He can heal. He can raise from the dead and he can protect. God can do what you cannot do. God cannot be stopped. And God's will will not be stopped because with God, nothing will be impossible. When I look at her response, I don't have time to develop this. Maybe we'll get into it next week. Then, then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What? She responds, stroking her beard. No, she didn't have a beard. She didn't have a beard. She, she sits there, junior high girl. And she acknowledges herself as the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be so. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. A maidservant is not just a servant. It's the lowest of all female servants, okay? It's the lowest. Okay, the one who didn't have an opinion, didn't have anything to offer, didn't have any power, influence. Total submission and commitment. And she looks at this. Do you know what she's signing up for? Does anyone know what she's signing up for? Simeon, after the birth of Christ, will tell her this child will be for the rise and fall of many, and he's going to pierce your heart. This is go time. Did you know that when this baby was conceived in her belly, she gave up a few things? She gave up her plans. Okay, out the door. She was betrothed to a man. <clears throat> Done. Okay, that's over. She let that go. God redeemed it. You know the story. She's done, though. He's going to leave her. That's the right thing to do. She's a floozy. She's given herself over. She's gone the way that she should. If she's no longer a virgin in the eyes of society, she knows the truth, but no one else does. And by the way, throughout the rest of her life, her reputation would be one of raising a child without a father. That would be, as a matter of fact, Jesus. I believe it's John 7 or John 8. The Jews speak of Jesus. And in an inflammatory way, say, at least we know who our father is. We don't really understand how bad it was in Nazareth. But when you show up and say, I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. Gotcha. Must have been a wild time. No, I'm for real. Oh, yep. Sure you are. She gave up her plans. Because God had a plan. Not only did she give up her plans, she gave up her reputation. She would endure the, the pain and rejection. Not just her, but Joseph. He'll, he'll come along as well. Did you know that Joseph would take on this woman, this single mom, and raise her child? There's some great lessons, and maybe I'll develop them more next week, about moms and dads, about men and women surrendering their lives and their will to the obedience of what God would have, to the glory of God, to his plan. Our society right now wants us to have our plans so concise and so secret and so personalized and the Lord might come to you even say, can I mess up everything for you? Your plan kind of is boring and I'm not kidding you. If you're here today and you need to, you need to do exactly what Mary did. You need to have the same <clears throat> response that Mary had in verse 38. Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Whatever you want, God. And maybe you're here today and you haven't been like Mary. Maybe you haven't kept yourself pure. Maybe your, your life or your marriage failed or your singleness hasn't been godly or holy. Do you know that God forgives you? 
that Jesus forgives you. He gives you a brand new start in life right now. He says, right now. I'm calling you right now. You got to give up your life. You have to give up your reputation. You will not regret it. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, okay, I tap out. She gave up everything on that day. And the angel departed. What happened next? How did the baby show up in there? What, how, how was she overshadowed? We don't know. We don't know. God knows and God does what God does. And I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as the worship team comes forward now. And Father, in Jesus' name, the way I would consider closing this service out in, in communion is by complete surrender. Complete surrender to you being God. Complete surrender to your ways and your timing. Complete surrender, Lord, to using our lives for your glory and for your purpose. Complete surrender even though our pasts, Lord, are not perfect. Even though what we have to bring and to offer is insubstantial. That there is nothing, Lord, in and of ourselves that merits being highly favored like Mary. It's nothing to do with Mary. It has everything to do with grace. And you know who you are here today. You know who you are watching online. You know where you're at with God. You know. I don't. I'm not that powerful. Your knower knows. And I would have you with me this morning. Surrender to the Lord. Behold, Lord, your servant. And you might have questions. Well, how's this going to work out? What about that? What about that? What about that? Listen. Ask those questions to the Lord in, in reverence and in trust. And if you're here this morning, you would like to become the servant of the Lord. Not living your own life anymore. Just saying, God, can you just take over? I just wonder what you might do. I wonder what you might do with my gifts, my talents, with, with my position. I am from Eddieville, Lord. I wonder if you could use me. If you would just say, Lord, I'll be your servant. Be gentle, Lord. But I don't want to waste my life. Would you just right now raise your hand to the Lord if you're willing to let him use you in whatever way he sees fit? Please raise your hand up high. I'm not looking. But I want to give you an opportunity to be bold in this. And then to sit back and let the six-month plan or the 4,000-year plan or somewhere in between take over your life. Lord, my hand is up too. Not because I'm so good or because I'm so excited to commit to you. I'm surrendering. And I'm saying I'm your servant. Forgive me of my sins. If your hand is up, your sins need to be forgiven. You are rebellious by nature. You are carnal. Lord, forgive us as we surrender to you. May you overshadow us with the Almighty in our lives. May you dwell in us richly. May you use, Lord, the church of God not just in South Beach, Lord, but everywhere in Jesus' name. And those whose hands are up, Lord, who raised their hands, may you anoint them. We really can't do much. We can't do much at all. And so we, we'll let you do it all. For with God, nothing is impossible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.